0: Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have
1: commit and we have at 2.13. We have find We have and it is clear the tower. Prepare yourself
2: for a world of science.
1: Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the science nights in the morning. We have, uh, two nights assembled today and a very special guest, Dr. Sean Graham, biologist extraordinaire and Dr. Thomas Schiller, paleontologist. Uh, and we have a very special guest all the way from Mexico. And, uh, Ciprian Ardellan is here on the show with us. And, um, Ciprian, how are you doing? Hi. Good morning, everybody. Very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting. Oh, yeah. Well, w- hey, we're excited to uh, talk to you. And uh, I'm going to let the Knights, I know the Knights have a lot of questions. I have a few questions myself. We're going to go ahead and get right on into the show. And I'm going to let uh, Sean Graham just kind of take it over. He's the one who reached out to you. And you're gracious enough to, uh, you know, answer the call and be on the show today. And I really appreciate it. We all do. And uh, we're, we're getting ready to uh, be educated about our history, human history,
2: human history. Yeah.
1: This is is such a cool topic and such a great
3: guest. You're a great guest for us because we do have on our show being in West Texas and Tom and I being so interested in um, some of the stuff in Northern Mexico. I'm a herpetologist. So I I love getting to Mexico to do field work and Thomas uh, digs dinosaurs in Northern Mexico. And so we're all kind of interested in the Chihuahuan Desert here. And, of course, this find is just huge uh, for this region. This is a a major find of human prehistory. It's going to push the envelope of our understanding of, you know, man in the new world, right? Humans in the new world. And I saw it, it was in nature, and I was like, oh, wow, this is just unbelievable. And then I was like, well, I'm going to give this a shot. to Let's talk to this guy. Maybe he'll want to talk to us. He, you know, He's right down the road, so to speak, down True. in Zacatecas. Yep. So um, why don't you, if you wouldn't mind, Supran, uh, paint the picture of kind of what the state of the art was in terms of our understanding of uh, when humans got to North America before you know, more or less, your big find that you have just reported recently
0: in the most prestigious scientific journal in the world. Well, finds <clears throat> like these don't go uh, very easy into acceptance. It, it takes them mm-hmm. quite a while to be accepted by the by the scientific community and then be absorbed by the public. I mean, it, actually, it's when when finds like this happen, they are normally discarded. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh more than 2 years that we've been working on this paper before being um, uh accepted in, in, in nature and uh, uh was a, a strategic move on on our side because we we wanted this kind of discoveries to be taken seriously and 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 you can see how how the um uh, social and academic and, and academic psychology works when something uh happens in nature right it, it, it's not like a publishing you'll find like the archaeologists usually do in the chapter of an edited book you know that that's what we normally do when we, we normally take the the shortcut
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah archaeology is one it's not always uh, um, among the uh, the hard sciences we are more like on the <laughs> humanities side so, mm-hmm. so we have a different sort of Managing the the results and, uh, and and the public reach of the results. So we 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 used to go to other sorts of journals or we we publish our own books and so on. And most of the times that kind of that kind of publications get lost, get get completely um, shadowed in by by, uh, by by other sorts of things. So when uh, when something like that makes it into nature, it, it causes a massive uproar and. It was absolutely uh, uh, shocking for us to see how uh, how a tremendous scandal it, it created worldwide. And those who react with more skepticism in front of this kind of science are not oh, scientists, it's the public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's uh, for, for some reason, everybody seems to, to know about archaeology. You know, you have your uncle your neighbor your uh, colleague at work or the, the taxi driver everybody seems to know about archaeology
3: so so everybody knows about clovis people and the clovis culture like you you'll run into people in the streets down in zacatecas and they know that that you know so that's that's the the kind of uh, background here is that yeah and i know that you know i've read that the clovis culture you know, is is the uh, first undisputed, right, until now, undisputed evidence of, of humans in the New World. These really beautifully made spear points, projectile points, associated with Ice Age mammals, right?
2: Well, and, at
0: the very, very end of the Ice Age. Right. I mean, Clovis people witnessed the very end of the Ice Age, so they are the last ones. Mm-hmm, but, or, they uh, have enough. In their sleeve to all people so uh, in Mexico it's a bit different here you have all the pyramids all the, oh, right yeah massive mass American civilizations that uh, everybody knows about and and people pay very little attention to prehistory mm-hmm. but in in the United States especially in New Mexico and in Western Texas and, and all the rest of Texas which is one of the main homelands of, of Clovis mm-hmm. uh, there's such a big thing about Columbus. So when you find something that challenges the primacy of Columbus, mm-hmm. well, everybody seems to be like offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is,
4: is there is there anyone in in your profession that that um, is is offended by that, or is there any controversy amongst your your colleagues? Most of the people are offended. Yeah, because when I when I did a Google search of of your work after I read the paper. Um a lot of what popped up is controversial new paper you know whenever you have the word controversy attached to a paper
2: yeah you know, for, three,
0: for 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 three reasons okay it for three reasons and when we are kind of divigating now from your from your question earlier, but I will go back to it soon uh so the reasons why this this has has caused such has caused such a big controversy over the last few years is First, because it talks about very old ages.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. And so it's, it's for, for
0: our theory.
3: audience, for our audience, um, real quick sure. before we get into that, tell tell us about the
0: ages. So Clovis about twelve thousand, fourteen thousand. Yeah. So Clovis started archaeologically speaking, because you can never know when they actually started in the real life. Yeah. You can only say about when your data tell you it started. So the Clovis people started somewhere around. Thirteen thousand six hundred years ago, and your artifacts uh, wait, are and quite they a bit and
2: of, earlier than that, twelve
0: thousand six hundred or twelve twelve thousand eight hundred more or less when the, the last cold push of the ice age started. Mm-hmm. It's called the Younger Dryas. Younger so, Dryas, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's when the Clovis ends. So for for many years, it's been considered. It would it, it, this was the first. Uh, this was the first culture, and you have these huge Clovis settlements in the southern US, and the biggest one ever known is in Galt, in, in the in, in in Florence, right in the Bell County. So that's that's the biggest settlement of the Clovis people. But in the same place, we already have much older human presence. So. Uh, During the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, pre-Clovis occupation has been widely accepted. So, Clovis first has uh, died maybe 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, everybody in the academia accepts pre-Clovis occupation, but as long as it's not older than 16,000.
2: Okay. Mm.
0: Um, And just real quick... What are the what are the dates of your site? Well, well the dates of my site are nothing strange, but the people read it as being strange. So I have two stratigraphic and cultural components:
2: mm-hmm.
0: a younger one and an older one. The younger one goes from about sixteen thousand years ago to more or less twelve thousand years ago. That's component B. The older one. Component C goes back from sixteen thousand, more or less, apparently towards thirty thousand. Well Wow. Boom.
3: Twice but, as old. As okay. Now, what's wrong with sixteen thousand? How come they get? How come everyone
0: gets squirrely if you go older yeah, than 16? sixteen? Sixteen thousand is the new threshold. Everything in the American prehistoric thinking, and by American we understand the whole continent. Everything goes by the acceptance, the acceptance of thresholds. For some reason, from the very start of this business of working with very ancient human presence on the continent, everything had to do with where you set the bar. So unlike Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, where everybody speaks very freely about very old dates, and then you need read another news that, all the the Homo sapiens was pushed back for another hundred thousand years in Africa, and everybody's like, okay,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> something like that was never part of the academic behavior in in in, in the Americas, never. Wow. So, from the very beginning of this of these studies at the at the very end of the of the nineteenth century, during the entire twentieth centuries, and uh, until today, everybody has to do with the acceptance of. Uh, of a, of a threshold. So uh, it has a huge psychological component. So people are just not accepting dates if they go beyond what a paradigm tells you.
3: Yeah, I, I read that the, the first Clovis finds, everybody, exactly. everybody was skeptical uh, anyway. about, uh, about the, like the Folsom sites and the Clovis sites saying, hell no, those, uh, right. those just happened to be there next to the mammoths, and they weren't actually
2: hunting them.
0: It's always the same. Yeah. It's always the same with with the uh, um, with any any find that challenges the established paradigm at the moment. So, mm-hmm. uh, people who are working Clovis, most of the people who do Clovis on a daily basis or Folsom or everything that's very very late Pueblo Indian um, the groups, they are kind of in love with with those cultures and they feel like. Uh, they shouldn't be threatened or or removed from their pedestals. You know, it's it's very similar to what happens with the psychology of dog people and cat people. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So camps. Cat people hate cat, uh, hate dogs, and dog people hate cats. Yeah. You know, so but this is great because I
3: love. A lot of people don't realize that scientists have holy cows.
0: We do who, yes, and they are holier than India. Here. Yeah,
3: yeah. They're, yeah, Scient- and it, it's totally, uh, it's not something most people would, would ever have predicted, but scientists will uh, get attached to some paradigm, and they'll get in verbal arguments with each other about these and things.
0: They get attached to the figures who, who yes. have those paradigms to be installed, uh, you know. So, uh, Clovis first was a paradigm at some point. It fell during the 90s. Pre-Clovis is the current paradigm as long as you don't go beyond 16,000.
1: (laughs) Wow. You're setting those thresholds. And In
0: in the
3: 16,000 threshold, does that have something to do with the closure of that ice-free
0: corridor up in Bergen? Uh, If you look at most of the sites who have strong data supporting pre-Clovis evidence... The oldest, uh, the oldest uh, uh, dates that 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 belong to widely accepted sites don't go beyond, or don't go too much beyond sixteen thousand. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's just an average. It's, it's it's sort of an average, yeah. and also has to do with uh, the 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 um, late effects of the end of the LGM, of the Last Glacial Maximum, which was the which was the very peak of the of the last glaciation you know and that happened between more or less 27,000 years ago calibrated uh, in average until about 18,000 years ago but in many places the effects of that of that termination of the of the last uh, glacial peak took about 2,000 years to be manifested so 16,000 is is a real an objective threshold in a chrono chronostratigraphically speaking. So, uh, and also most people say, okay, we can give you eighteen thousand because <laughs> if you have people yeah, everything is just a negotiation. Sometimes <laughs> it's uh, in, in archaeology, there is no such thing as objective truth or objective reality. There is only lost arguments and won arguments. Oh, wow. So.
4: Sounds a little it, bit like paleontology, too. Yeah, so I was
0: going to say. Yeah. Well, of course. And
3: in so. areas where you could never possibly know the real answer, right? Because it's already happened and the evidence isn't there either way. Like I, I think paleontologists argue a lot about things that they're ne- they maybe never will find out because yeah. they're only going to have a skeleton.
4: Yeah. The T Rex is the big holy cow of oh, paleontology, right? <laughs> well, whether, whether or not it was a predator or a scavenger. Right. And I think it was it was arrived upon that it could have been a little bit of... A, yeah. That's what people... Would well, there's no doubt that it had tiny little forearms
3: that were ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Tiny. <laughs> Working on <laughs> Embarrassing. that Embarrassing. <tone. laughs> Working on the tone there. Well, we have about four more minutes. And, um, Cibrian, uh I, I would like to ask you now, wasn't there a faunal extinction about 13,000 years ago that would actually kind of contribute to possible hunting by... by Humans?
0: That that is an assumption based on uh, data from the United States. Okay. So they rarely take into account tropical latitudes. For example, in the area of Zacatecas, which is exactly, I mean, the the Zacatecas desert is the southernmost outskirt of the Chihuahuan desert. Mm -hmm. You are on the northern side of the Chihuahuan desert. My work is on the very south, south side of the Joan desert. So in that area, apparently all megafauna has disappeared around 40,000 years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so everything you find, like mammoth bones, bison bones, everything that's megafauna that, that corresponds to the terminology of megafauna in that area is never younger than that.
2: Wow. Hmm.
0: Yeah, the the remains that you
3: got from the cave are super interesting because it does it kind of reads off like a you know a a perfect uh, modern Mexico fauna. Like if you had if you could have a Mexico fauna where it wasn't overhunted, you know it, it kind of reads off that way. And I love that you found vampire bats in the cave. Are there still vampire bats in it? Because there's there's remains of them. Do you
2: still get them there?
0: Yes, there, 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 are. And you can see the, the part of their regurgitations, blood oh. regurgitations on the walls and things like that. And Dr. Arroyo, who, who, who works with us, he's also a specialist in bats.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We, he always pays attention to these details everywhere wow. he goes with us. And, uh, so yeah, our cave shows a fauna in a world that seems to have lost the megafauna. Mm. Already, already, yeah, that's yeah. incredible.
3: Yeah, because what Conley that what you're bringing up there is well, the timing. You
1: know, it, this idea,
2: right? Yeah.
1: Well, there, there's a disparity between is it is it climate or is it humans? Right. Like what what could have uh, caused this? A uh, glitch. Right? Was
0: with a final blow by humans in areas where there were enough humans and very few animals, right. and there's a, so the behavioral thing. For example. If you look at uh, populations who lived at the same time with Clovis, like the Western Sturm in Western U.S. in the Rockies, they are not fans of killing mammoths. Hmm. So uh, hmm. all, all this megafauna thing seems to be like a behavior of Clovis people and some other cultures who share that kind of behavior, and probably for other coeval groups, it look weird.
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I've always one uh, the the overkill. What we're talking about here, we call the overkill hypothesis. The yeah, idea that you know, uh, Stone Age man wiped out populations of uh, megafauna all over the world. And there's supposed to be this timing that goes on. You know, when the Australian um, you know folks colonized Australia, the megafauna there went extinct promptly. If the timing is right, if, if all everything, if that hypothesis is correct, then it, that's how it checks out. But I've always, you know, they didn't drive the spruce trees extinct, you know, that lived in Kansas during the Pleistocene. They weren't doing that. I've always had problems of the details is you know the devil's in the details and speaking of details we have to take a quick break so hopefully Cyprian will stick around with us and you'll hear a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back everybody science nights in the morning hello everybody and science nights in the morning are back with our very special guest Cyprian from the university of Zacatecas, and he just hit pay dirt scientifically literally down in a crazy cave um, in this remote area of Zacatecas, where he's discovered evidence for human beings in the Western Hemisphere long before most people have kind of been comfortable with recognizing, right? Is as old as 30,000 years ago, yeah. and it's really well documented. The paper is beautiful. It's full of incredible illustrations, really well done, and it's in the most prestigious scientific journal in the world. So you got to take it seriously, and this sounds like a serious guy, Cyprian If you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit, Um, you've got a lot of evidence in this paper about what you call faunal remains um, uh, and and also, you know, floral remains. So bits and pieces of plants and animals that are buried in this cave that you dug up, they kind of paint a picture of what the environment was like at the time when these folks were living in this, um, well, maybe not necessarily living in the cave, but visiting the cave and leaving behind artifacts. What was it like back then?
0: so we actually have very little evidence in terms of the number of items uh recollected from from the excavation that's reported in this paper so there will be a second paper coming hopefully uh next year with the excavations from last year which are not reported in in the nature paper mm. so there, there's more that i cannot talk about oh my goodness mm. that's exciting <laughs> More and more inside
3: because I was thinking, I was thinking, man, what if he found a Clovis point above the horizon oh. where they were digging? Wow, and it, it was actually placed in context. It would be like the, you know, <laughs> the golden egg. You're trying to tease it out. of Yeah, it. what if
0: it was that cool? <laughs> Holy grail, Could it have been that cool? Probably your audience should know that there are no Clovis points in Mexico. <laughs>
3: I should probably know that.
0: That was so, one of the
3: coolest yeah. things that I learned from reading. The only, the only, yeah. the only
0: Clovis points here are at, at the two uh, big Clovis locations in Sonora, and but they belong to the Arizona right. Clovis cluster yeah. clusters. Just the, the border happens to to pass north of them, uh, but south south of that, you have some dubious reports of Clovis points that probably are not even Clovis, or probably they are not even legitimate finds. So, hunter-gatherers during the Ice Age had defined territories. So, if you want to look for Chinese, it's very uh, likely to find them in China. You mm-hmm. know? So, if you look for Americans, you will find them in America. Mm-hmm. So, if you look for, for Clovis people, you will find them more or less on the territory of the United States, but not south of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the Chikiwita Cave is very far away from Clovis territories, like a thousand kilometers away from from Clovis territories. And uh, speaking of distances, during the, the last glacial maximum, the cave was just about 2000 kilometers away from the southern edge of the big glacial sheets. So the environment was obviously very different from what you see today in northern Zacatecas, extremely different. At least for for the time that we studied at, at at this cave, so caves like this that are very high in the mountains, you you cannot expect them to to be very full of, of of floral and and fauna remains because it depends on what kind of animals would would live at that height and what kind of vegetation would grow at that altitude. So. Uh, It's not like having a cave somewhere uh, uh, near the the riverbed where basically the wind can blow in all sorts of vegetation from all sorts of uh, ecosystems and and niches. In high-altitude caves, things are more selective. So even for the people who who use that cave, uh, uh, one one of the critiques that we receive uh, from the... Uh, from both academics and the public is why don't you have like big uh, animal bones with, with scratch marks and everything? Because in the first place you would not carry a whole carcass up the steep slopes from the valley all the way to the Cape.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, it's it's almost four hours walking on a, on, on a slope that's 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would butcher the animals elsewhere and take a lightweight, a boneless meat, right? Sure. So you are leaving most of the bones out of the record. So uh, the animals that you have at the cave are basically animals who who would, who would live around that location, and definitely they are not grasslands herbivores. Mm-hmm. If you want, if you want to hunt a grassland herbivore like deer a uh, pronghorn antelope, uh, a mammoth, or or whatever. You have to leave the cave, go down around the lakes that were in the middle of the basin back then, uh, uh, go around the swamps, marshes, and hot springs that were abundant all over the place in the lowlands, do the hunting, do the butchering, and go back with the selected pieces back to the cave, not carrying, dragging the whole animal up the slope. I Sure. Mean, uh, it's logical, right? Right, it so makes sense. The, the, the kind of archaeological record that this kind of site would provide is very different from the typical Paleo-Indian hunting locations that people are, are used to, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, so the environment around that cave changed, obviously, between the, the, the glacial maximum and times afterwards before the cave was... Was was sealed by uh, massive collapses and the occupation finished, Uh, but it's basically a forest with grasses and flowers. Mm -hmm. It looked pretty much like today's Washington State, Oregon, British Columbia, Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah, okay. Just in that kind of environment.
1: Yeah, coniferous forest.
0: Yeah. Douglas firs and uh, big pines and some oaks and and uh, some some flowery grasses here and there. That that's the kind of vegetation we had there. Wow. So nothing to do with the Joshua trees and yeah and, uh, and the cacti that you have today.
2: Yeah,
3: and there's pictures there's pictures in your paper of the site now, and there is like a, a yucca right in the foreground. Right. It looks like the stuff you see around here. It, it's got kind of grassy.
0: You but still have some yeah. pinion trees today, but there were no pinion trees back then. There were different sorts of coniferous yeah. trees. You so can,
1: You contribute that more to climate than anything, right? Just uh, the uh, change, basically, over time.
0: And there's something else. The, 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 there was water near the Cape. Mm. Because people say, how how would anybody live there if there is no water? There is no water today. Mm. But there was plenty of water in the past. I mean, you can actually see the, the, the cliffs outside the cave shaped by waterfalls mm-hmm. that were coming from, from ice. above the cliffs.
4: This probably would have been from, from ice and snow melt back then.
0: Well, there were probably springs mm-hmm. and right beneath the slope at, at the end of the last flight of the slope. There was a creek. I mean, actually, the, the 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 path our caravans use today to go to the cave is an ancient creek fed by a uh, by, by a spring. That spring is no longer no longer uh, alive, but it was most yeah. likely during the during the ice age. Right, so more rainfall
3: that, at that latitude. You're painting a picture of a kind of a nice place. It
0: sounds nice. It's, yeah, uh, place. Yeah. yeah. And the cave was different because the entrance was huge, like a, like a massive 50 meters wide vault, about 10 meters tall and, uh, uh, allowing the light to get in. And probably it was as isothermic as is today with stable temperature inside and, uh, but much, much more light coming in during the day. Uh, and, uh, well, at, during the Younger Dryas, at some point, everything collapsed. I mean, maybe erosion, maybe some earthquake, or who knows. But most of the, or, or the entire entrance of the cave was completely sealed, was completely buried by debris. Probably a single event that happened in minutes. And uh, the entrance you use today to, to go into the cave was cut open by mining explorers from the 18th century. So um, we are using an artificial entrance dug through the debris that sealed the ancient entrance. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so, do you, do
4: you think this was a, a relatively permanent settlement? These
0: no. looking no? no, absolutely not. No, we, we have very few artifacts to talk about the. Uh, uh, S- so there's
1: m- so there's more evidence that they were nomadic, probably just like you know.
0: Oh, everybody was nomadic during the Ice Age, okay. and uh, probably they have very large uh, migration territories. Something like, I mean, if you look at the Caribou herders, the uh, Inuits, or so on, they they move on such huge circular territories that it's the grandson's turn to go back to the point where his grandfather started as a youngster. You oh, know what wow. I mean? Mm-hmm. No.
3: Especially because so his like, grandfather is thirty-four
0: years old, right? <laughs> <laughs> today, I mean, these are calculations based on today migration routes from the twentieth century.
2: Yeah.
0: So it, it takes them three generations to 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 close a circle. So for people who are barely becoming familiar with a new territory, it may take a while to to define. Who, which your territory is why you will you will continue to exploit the region and why not uh, etc so probably this cave was a mandatory um, um visitation spot for a few days at a time during specific migration routes and probably they did some very specific activities at this place because we we don't see the entire spectrum of activities of a normal uh, uh stable uh, camp, I mean um, there is much more um, to be discussed in the next paper, we will, we will include the user analysis of the tools, we will give the interpretation and the exact explanation of what they were used for uh, And but if this is something important the environment for people who occupy a region should not be thought of only in terms of vegetation and animals and climate you need to think about the about the geology, so in this part of, of of the continent, you have a very different geology, like than than uh, I mean, in, in comparison with Texas, when where you have, I mean, just crossing the border from Texas, you have the amazing agatas from from the Allibates um, uh, sources. You have the Edwards uh, Church from uh, Central and Eastern Texas. You have amazing geology of jaspers and. Chalcedony and everything that's wonderful, right? And 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 all this popular culture of the flea nappers which is so so loved by by uh, by the by the Americans. Well, everybody is like completely blinded by the beautiful rocks, and they never think about the fact that the earliest people on the continent were still far away from discovering these rocks. Mm-hmm. So they had to use Well, the geologists gave them at the first sight, which was limestone. So they're fashioning tools out of limestone. Limestone, basalts, and rhyolites. That's what you can see when you look around. To find the other materials in a very poor geology like Northern Zacatecas, it takes you many years of exploration and and familiarization with the region to, to, to be able to find those tiny sources of dirt. So people at the cave have access to nearby sources of green limestones that behave exactly like churches. Right? Mm-hmm. So they 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 use them, but the, the very important thing here for the for the audience to understand is that limestone was in use as a tool source, as a tool raw material until the conquest, until the Spanish conquest. Mm -hmm. So you can have sites that are 500 years old and they still flake limestone. Wow! So they use limestone for certain activities that uh, where it doesn't matter too much if the tool breaks, you know, like wood chopping, uh, bark removal, uh, etc. While hunting and uh, other sorts of activities is Reserved for for uh, for for chert or some other sort of more expensive material because it, it, you you need a tool to last longer and be more precise. But this behavior of focusing on limestone is something that many people in the United States don't have any idea about. Yeah, because I would never rest- have thought not that. so much focus on. on on fancy stones, right? So, but here where we are working, we we, we discover, I mean, this cave is only one from 35 archaeological sites we discovered in the area. And all of them, all of them are 90% made of limestone tools.
4: And it's all local limestone
0: collected. Exactly. I mean, uh, sometimes they are making uh, bifaces out of limestone a few meters away from the limestone outcrop. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. that's
4: that's really interesting because um, one of the things that's always fascinated me, I'm not an archaeologist, but I spend a lot of time kind of traipsing around out in the desert and, and I see a number of, of artifacts, you know, projectile points and things. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at a piece that's made of a, of a material that, you know, is only exposed 200 miles away, and you know when you talk to archaeologists or North American archaeologists about it, they talk uh, trading, trading this valuable material that's used for tool construction. Um, so I guess um, my question is: Were they? Is there any evidence that they were trading? Um, it sounds like they were just kind of isolated groups who were collecting material locally and not necessarily um, trying to find the the optimal. Uh, material for constructing their, their projectile points and their and their tools.
0: Well, twenty-five thousand years ago there were do you think there were many people to trade with?
4: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I'm thinking. You just have these little enclaves of people
0: and they're they're doing mm-hmm. what they can with what they have. Exactly. I mean we already have sites in in like in the Carolinas. You have I don't know copper site that was completely wiped out by critics and never accepted and so on. Well, they have all sort of, of tools that look exactly like sites in Brazil. My sites look like sites in Brazil using exactly the same sort of technological approach using limestones. Or they uh, focus on quartz because quartz was the first thing they saw in, in the area. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you you, you you need to get used to the geology to know where to look for materials that are um uh fancier for our standards like nice church or jaspers, but it takes centuries for the people to learn to read the geology of their region, especially if they don't live there all the time, because they were just passengers to those regions until territories became smaller and smaller because the demographies increased. So you have groups defining more and more territories they had that had to, to, to coexist. And 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 when the territory becomes smaller, that's when you pay more attention to the to the landscape, and that's when you are forced to look for alternatives. but uh, we are talking about an alien world here mm. that has nothing to do with the thinking that we see among clovis people
4: yeah as you're as you're talking about this, I'm trying to put myself in in these people's shoes, and um, I can just imagine how how like you said, experiencing a, a new and alien world having. Uh, come from such a different place, from the, the northern latitudes, and then um, your people end up down in, in Mexico and ultimately into Central America and South America and disperse that way. It's pretty pretty cool to think about.
0: So here the thing is that this is not the first site that claims these ages or this sort of technology. Right. There have already been several other discoveries, but they are not taken into account by the mainstream. Yeah. Okay, so I
3: think um, we're going to touch on that when we come back from a break, because we got to put this study in your discovery and context, because this, like you said, this is just now going to be kind of a, a piece of the puzzle and a very vocal piece of the puzzle. And I think you've been hinting at something about um, maybe what you think... Could have happened in that time gap between 30,000 years ago when your folks were living in that cave. And then all of a sudden, these remarkably well-made spear points turn up in North America. And there's a big time, you know, kind of a hole in the time between those two cultures. So where the hell did Clovis come from if there were already people here? For you know, ten thousand years. Let's touch on those questions when we get back from the break. Welcome back, everybody. We're the Science Nights in the morning. We got our very special guest. We're talking about prehistory in North America. How old man in the New World is exactly, and when we got here and how things like that. Great stuff. We got a special guest from the University of Zacatecas who just made an astounding new discovery. And it's not like he was just talking about it's not the first time anybody's found something this old. It's just that um you know people have been just not taking it as seriously uh, many other sites so uh quickly just kind of run down some of the other sites that are kind of this old and and give us an idea of um does this change our minds about how we think that people got to the new world how did how, what was the uh what was the way that people migrated in from Asia?
0: Yeah. So here's the thing: uh, there are sites from Yukon to South America that have comparable dates. Um, not in Alaska, because normally, in order to find a site, a site, you need to look for it. <laughs> people aren't right.
3: looking in Alaska.
0: No, people are not looking They're in Alaska. Surviving it's, in Alaska. Yeah, it's a little bit remote up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They are not looking in Alaska at sites of this age.
3: Mm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So the Canadians were always a bit more free in terms of thinking. So they found bluefish caves and bluefish caves in Northern Yukon is, is, has been recently evaluated. And actually the university of Kansas is re re evaluating the site as we speak And probably there will be some good news from there. And the dates indicate that you have humans around 26,000 years ago in northern Yucca. At the same time, you have humans in central and southwestern Brazil at exactly the same date, 26,000, 27,000 years ago. So how is that you have people at such old moments in time so far away between each other? And almost equidistantly, uh, located in relationship to Mm Chiquiwita, you know? So, um, things are more complicated than just single find in Zacatecas. And actually, uh, we were just, we were as stunned as everybody is today. When we found these things at, at the cave, I, I, I was not, uh, necessarily a supporter of very old age in the Americas.
3: Right, oh, the truth
0: comes out. You were one of the doubters. I was one of the doubters. Wow. Yeah. So I said, This thing is serious, and I continue to dig and I continue to dig because and I involved people from all universities from all over the world. That's why we have 17 institutions involved in that paper because they said, Please come and look at it because maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so I, I wanted to expose the site to the scrutiny because I didn't want this site to be just another uh, cave uh, left on the margins of the discussion because it sounds too old. Right. So there are many things that but the discussion is barely starting. So mm-hmm. this this will, maybe in 10 years, we will remember this conversation today and we will say, now the paradigm from today was born in those years when the Chiquita came out, you know? Yeah. So the new paradigm in a few years, I call it the fifth paradigm is humans were here during or before the LGM, the last Glacial maxim. So the thing with the origins of these people is far from being clear. And we we should not talk about who they are, or where they came from before getting some serious uh, evidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. We can only speculate. So we are speculating now. Right. My okay. understanding, just just as a hypothesis based on very few data, a, a conjecture, right? Uh, my 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 conjecture is that people came into in, uh, into the Americas before the closure of the ice sheets over Canada. Yeah,
3: okay. That's an awfully long time ago. That's longer that's longer ago than your site.
2: No,
0: right? No? No. No, No, because the sheets only closed about twenty-six thousand years ago. Oh, okay. So they had plenty of time to arrive. Gotcha. So they arrived, they moved far enough into the continent, and then the sheets closed. So they were trapped Mm -hmm. south of the sheets. At the same time, there were more groups coming behind them and they were trapped north of the Sheets. Mm -hmm. And you have what the the archaeologists call the Beringian standstill. And those are the populations who invaded uh, southern latitudes when the Sheets retrieved. And those are the, 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 uh, the founders of the indigenous populations. People who were waiting in Beringia Uh, 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 during the LGM, right? Uh But at the same time, there were already people trapped south of the ice sheets, and they had no idea one about the other, right? Right. So by the time those people uh, managed to cross into what is United States today, at the end of the LGM, probably uh, about 16,000 years ago, And that's when you start to see a lot of sites with that age, right? Mm -hmm. 16,000 all over the place, because that's when the Northern population started to come in through the ice-free corridor. By that time, the populations who had been here from long before were already disappearing. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, it, it doesn't mean there are lost groups, lost migration. I mean, they had already survived here like for 15,000 years. Right. Wow. I mean, it was their time to be, let's say, extinct or just assimilated by these populations, right. culture, genetically, or they just were too few to survive after all that long time that had already survived. You know? So when these massive migrations arrive at the end of the Ice Age, pushed by the climate change into in, in in Siberia and so on uh they were invading uh the continent in in big numbers so that the demography of the pre-LGM populations is completely uh wiped out i mean they are not visible archeologically so that-
4: after several thousand years, we have a completely different culture that's that's taking over North America. That's in, in my a, hypothesis. Yes,
3: that's very cool. And that's and we're, that's we're talking about Clovis. The Whether they
0: came by land or by sea, we're still far away from from uh, having uh, sufficient evidence to to decide from for for which route they used. This, this is still years years away from us, mm-hmm. but. Uh, when, when, when the cloth is installed, I mean this was a massive integrated culture I mean maybe they spoke different languages maybe there were different nations mm-hmm. because they're, uh, but they, they shared the culture for some reason
3: well they shared that, that technology right yeah that, right.
0: that um, what their, their technology is what we can see archaeologically as a human culture mm-hmm. but we cannot see the rest of the culture, like the language, no. the, uh, the the beliefs, and so on. So um, the Clovis were not the only ones at the same time. I mean, there are several other populations who were uh, living at different places in Florida and uh, very far northeast of the U.S. and the northwest. And all these populations were uh, contemporary with Clovis, and they were not Clovis, and they don't even share technologies with Clovis. So with with all this diversity that you have at the very end of the Ice Age, you also start to pay attention to the diversity that was before Clovis. Because most of the sites that have pre-Clovis dates, even not as old as ours, uh, they have very different cultures, very different technologies. I mean, almost every pre-Clovis site has a different sort of technology. So that means diversity. That that means cultural diversity, and that also could mean we will never know, but could mean linguistic, ethnical diversity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, um, who knows if the Clovis was just one people? There were there were probably many people who who shared the same technology as we are able to share the same technology right. to speak to each other right now, and we are from different nations and different cultures, right? So. Um, uh, the the thing is that what what Clovis left behind is so spectacular, is so amazingly beautiful, so perfect that it completely blinds uh, up uh, the, the, the the perception of the diversity. And what you're referring to there are the
3: are these projectile points, right? Yeah, the yeah projectile like points gorgeous, and all, the gorgeous, gorgeous, really well made. In fact, that, correct me if I'm wrong. They're the most uh, kind of difficult uh, projectile points to put together, like the flint knappers that you mentioned, oh. uh, that will try to reconstruct how they made specific spear points. They always talk about clovis, like how do you, uh, they're just so immaculate and crazy. They're hard to make.
0: The thing is that that shows you something very important: the important, of t- the importance of teaching, mm. the importance of transmission of knowledge. Wow. It, nobody can produce that kind of points without having an amazing professor to teach you to do it. A PhD. Yep. In so those people have specialized uh, nappers who were absolute artists and they transmitted the knowledge. When that knowledge is cut because of some cultural change or some... Uh, population replacement or a war or whatever, people are not able to reproduce those points. So uh, you, you can actually look at what happened in Mexico, for example, in many regions when the Spanish came. Uh, the populations here were completely uh, wiped out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there, there was a complete genocide. By, by the year 1600, all Zacatecas was completely uh, completely empty of indigenous people. <laughs> they were completely, all of them were killed or sold away as slaves to the Caribbean islands.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the people who survived or were left behind, they make tools that look like lower Paleolithic. Hmm. Why? Because there was nobody. No one taught to them
2: any better. Teach them.
0: Wow. So there's so,
3: the lesson, everybody. Right there, uh, knowledge and the transmission of knowledge is very important.
0: Yeah, I hope some of our students are listening. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Something um, wow. that I to make it clear in our paper, but uh, apparently very few, very few readers are paying attention to it, is that at Chikiwite, we can see teaching. So you can see in the in the products of, of flaking. Uh, on those stones from the cave, the same sorts of mistakes and the same sorts of try and error that you can see with our students in the lithics class in the lithics class at university. Mm. So people there had youngsters with them, and they were teaching them to flake on a stone that was not as precious as. Some other exotic material, and they could afford to waste it on learning. Oh, wow. That's what Chiquita is. You found me. a school. It's a school. Oh, my God. <laughs> Basically, <looking>, yeah. Wow. <laughs> the, one of the say, earliest first, universities. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People say, yeah, but where is your exotic materials? And I'm like, why do you expect me to find them? <laughs> and if they're exotic, you would keep them dear to your heart. Sure. You would not leave them behind. Yeah. And you practice and on them. So you would practice with the crap you find around. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what, that's what Chikiwita shows you. And that's the, that, that, that's the, that's, that, that was the moment when I said, oh, my God, this is real. When I started to find flakes that show errors on them. Oh man! Wow, the stakes of the learning—you know—how
3: cool! What a great, great story! Unbelievable, Cyprian! Thank you so much for this. This has been—I'm going to nominate you as our
1: all-time
0: best guest. Yeah, I think we so. Ever had. Oh, for sure! Thank and you all for letting me uh, start to drool over the over the microphone.
1: <laughs> well, well, let let me tell you right now—we're um, being broadcast uh, all out, all throughout the big band. On KVLF ninety eight point seven FM and on twelve forty AM, we're also on the World Wide web, uh, being streamed all over the country. We uh, have a good following, and um, it, what would you like to you know tell all of our listeners out there that might be one looking for this? You know, you inspired me in this um, right. conversation, yeah. future and, archaeologists, and, and I know, yeah, you're inspiring future um, archaeologists and and just people wanting that knowledge, what would you like to say to them?
0: I would like to say to them that you cannot find things if you don't go out to look for them.
2: <laughs> I like
0: it.
4: All right, that's all I need. Sean, let's load up the truck let's and drive go. down to Zacatecas. Let's seat, do it. Wait, and a couple of other diggers? Wait, wait, wait. So
1: you're
0: saying we can't Google it?
1: <laughs> oh,
4: man.
0: That's one of the things. Archaeology needs to go back out, out outdoors in the dirt not just sitting in front of the computer. No
1: doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Right.
0: Completely agreed.
1: Dr. Adelian,
0: I really appreciate it.
2: Thank yeah. you
1: so much for being no on the shot. show. It means a lot.
0: Thank you and everybody else listening.
1: All right. Well, everybody, that's the Science Nights in the morning. We'll see you next week with another great episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432 217 1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the morning with a K. And we'll see you next time.